Isn't McGinn's mother alive? Yeah, alive and well. <laughs> she has a whole family. She's got more cousins than the Black family reunion. I don't understand why she needed an Earth mom. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Champs. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year Tom Clancy's Executive Orders debuted at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. Bestseller list. And this story happened to be about when Jack Ryan, a hero, is forced to become the president of a little country called the U.S. after every single member of the cabinet, including the former president, are killed in a shady attack. Interesting. I'm actually, I would like to read that. I have enjoyed the, was it the Jack Ryan, John Krasinski series? Mm-hmm. Um, the most jacked individual of all time, Alan Richardson's Jack <laughs> Reacher as well. But I think that perfectly segues into our conversation today, which I'm kind of glad that you talked about this. <laughs> because we are fully into Young Justice Outsiders as rights we have made it through the, I think it was a five to seven year jump between seasons. We've seen seasons two and three now because of all the stuff that's going to be happening. Plus the fact that it starts on independence day. I felt like it was appropriate to call this episode, the new regime. Ah, uh, yes, mm-hmm. yes. It all, it all works. Uh, so we got, we're talking episodes one through three of season three. That is princes, all the Royal we, and Eminent Threats. I guess we should just go ahead and drop it here that for season three, every single episode title will eventually spell out prepare the anti-life equation. We're going to see what that means and how it plays out through these 20-odd episodes that we have. Um, But timing-wise, our episodes here start with July 4th. So shout out to once again Independence Day, wrapping it all up on July 31st. We got our cast list set where we have the returning voices and characters for the people that have brought us um, Nightwing, uh, Superboy, all those. We got Jesse McCartney, Nolan North, Stephanie Lemon, and Danica McKellar. We also got some semi-new voices with Black Lightning, who is finally joining the cast as a full series regular, as we have the voice of Carrie Payton, who is uh, stopping as his Calderon Aqualad individual. He's only reprising that role because Calder is now finally Aquaman. Yeah. I just like, I think they carry Peyton. They were just like, hey, uh, are you doing anything right now? Uh, why? Uh, we need you to voice another character. <laughs> just uh, just one more. Uh, we promise. We promise we won't make you voice Cyborg, but uh, everybody else. <laughs> I think it was like before or after. Like somewhere, somewhere where he was free from not being on The Walking Dead with a whole tiger. (laughs) Oh, he was there till the end. Oh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) 
so next up, we have in our cast list, we have Dead Girl, who will later be called Halo Girl. This is actually the name they call her in the show. I'm not being disrespectful. <laughs> I For a second, I thought that was her actual hero name in the comics. <laughs> DC's Dead Girl. <laughs> Dead Girl, go! <laughs> uh, but we have Zara Fazal, who is voicing this character today. Uh, you might remember her voice from a, sh- a movie we haven't covered yet, I guess. Uh, Catwoman Hunted, where she was the voice of Talia al Ghul. Uh, speaking of people who are just taking over the voice acting industry, I think this next up, we got Greg Sipes, who is continuing his journey to be the one and only Beast Boy within the DC <laughs> universe. <laughs> And that uh, one random guy from Fast and Furious, he has a scene, Fast and Furious 4. Oh my god, he was in Fast and Furious 4. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay, he's coming back for 11. That's a guarantee. I, I, it's about time he came to the family. <laughs> uh, wrapping it up, we got Gray Delal Griffin, who is voicing Helga Jace in this episode. Steve Bloom is returning as Count Vertigo in the DC Animated Universe. And finally, we have the former Batman and Joker actor, Troy Baker, who was providing the voice of Breon, the very aggro, one might even say hot-headed uh, <laughs> character within our episodes today. All right, so now that we got our cast list set, uh, it's time to Zeta Tube over to the beginning of Prince's All. So if you've been keeping up and you watch the end of season two, you can skip about five minutes because the episode starts. (laughs) Exactly. Where season two started. But we do get a two-year time skip where we find out in a very dark twist, and we do want to preface that uh, this this season especially is going to dive into some very dark issues uh, that have very real parallels to real life, uh, and they do really go go into them and and explore them. So, just so you know what we're get, we're wading into. Uh, before we say that, we find that children are being kidnapped after they get lied to about how to treat them with surgery. So they get some kind of medical condition, and presumably these children's are children are orphans or do have parents but are taken out from their parents and then they are taken to another lab where these kids who also have the metagene are covered in a special tar and turned into a metahuman or meta creature and in here the opening we see a, a girl with a heart issue get turned into a magma creature um and then she's immediately sent out to a mission on another world in this case she sent to ran to clash with the team and the justice league yeah it is a very shocking scene especially because um it is shown that she's being forced to do this stuff based to based off of a so kind of it was like a little rfid tag that's the only way i can describe Mm it on her neck that is probably based off of just other um sources of material that I've read in the past is probably just forcing her to it's it's like shocking her in a way that it forces her to become very aggressive and angry. So and because of the state that she's in, she is looking very monster like. So when she starts attacking the Justice League, the Justice League members that we have here today is Superman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, 
uh, Green Lantern, John Stewart, Ice, which is a newcomer into this universe, as well as Black Lightning. Um, Black Lightning decides to jump in and try to save Ice, who is about to be harmed by this creature. So he immediately starts using his lightning at a very, almost if you look at it, you can't tell it's at a very lower level. Um, it's just really that his hands are illuminating and he's sending some gentle shockwaves towards the person. However, because this is the same person that we learned that had this heart condition, it does create a cardiac event for her as the monster's growls stopping her because of the fact that she, it seems that she is going through a heart attack. You can hear that the growls transferred into the sounds of a child who's crying, which immediately causes black lightning to stop what he's doing because he just notices that he has killed the monster. Yes. So after this very bleak opening sequence, we go back to the watchtower where we randomly See, Steel is now in the Justice League. And, yeah. <laughs> and there's also a few other new faces. I think Spoiler is there now. Yeah, we got, for in regards to new faces, Spoiler is now officially on the team. Um, Arrowette is also on the team. Fun fact about this Arrowette character. Remember back in season, I think it was season one, when... Black Spider kind of first made his appearance or was about to kill that dude from by taking him from his daughter's room and drop him at a very high heights. And oh, breathe. yes. Yeah, that little girl is Arouette. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, did not know that. So that kind of made a little full circle since so she got saved by Artemis and Green Arrow. But we have all these new people and the Thing that ends up happening is that Black Lightning is joined by Steel as um, they're heading into the boardroom of the Watchtower for a secret or at least like a very emergency meeting. Yes, here we get the other big reveal in the roster that Calder is now full time Aquaman, no longer Aqualad. He's got it. He made yes. it to the top of the rock and. They want to. They immediately want to talk about this issue of meta trafficking because apparently this is happening a lot across the world, where kids are being taken and sent off to other planets to fight. And Black Lightning, of course, wants to fix this. He feels the guilt. He wants to really dive in and solve this issue. But then they reveal that Lex Luthor, in his position as a UN advisor that he got last season even worse than him being the president because he can internationally push for metahuman activities to be limited. And we can kind of suspect that this is part of his ongoing membership of the light, that this is all part of one big scheme. But for now, this is causing a lot of friction between the members, so much so that Batman says, I quit. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Oh, yeah, because just like the uh, the infamous TikTok song, Green Arrow signs up, gets the paperwork, signs his name on the back. And there we're thinking, though, oh, maybe that's just only it. But it little by little, we're starting to see that other heroes are starting to resign from the Justice League, including uh, Plastic Man, Katana, Batwoman, and a hero that we haven't seen in this show, hasn't had a speaking role in the show yet, Hardware, another milestone hero. So 
once everybody is seeing that this does seem to be a, an orchestrated retirement or quit session, um, Green Arrow is talking with Black Canary, who Black Canary is clear that the two of them are probably in the relationship at this point. And she recognizes that, like, hey, this was messed up. What you did was um, you made Calder kind of look bad because here it is. You're all bailing out when Calder needed uh, needed our support at this moment in time. And Green now is pleading with her, like, come along with us. But she says that she's not going to do it because she knows where her duties lie. And as the as Green Arrow uh, and Batman start to walk out, this is where Black Lightning also shares that the reason why he appeared onto the Watchtower in his civilian clothes today is because he's here to do the same. Yes, but he makes it clear it was not an organized thing. He just is resigning because he is overwhelmed by the guilt again of what happened with the metahuman on Ran. So as he quits, Aquaman says, you know, we're going to have to disown the League members because we don't want people confusing their actions for ours. And as he's formulating this plan, Batman walks into the other room, and if anything has a bat symbol on it, it's gone. Uh, Every (laughs) bat hero, Robin leaves Tim Drake, to be specific, without a word to to go, and along with other bat family associated sidekicks. And when an olive branch is extended to Black Lightning, he goes, I ain't joining Batman Incorporated. I know y'all don't have no dental plan. Like I got two kids at home. Yeah, I thought you. I thought you were owned by somebody rich. I can't pay for dental. <laughs> so, while he refuses it, we cut over to Nightwing because we are wondering this entire time what Nightwing is up to, and it turns out he's working solo. Well, kind of because Oracle is in his ear constantly, uh, letting him know, guiding him through a mission to break into a lab that is doing the same thing with metahuman children. And he's actually able to save a few people before blowing up a building. Now, this thing, um, Nightwing had no way of knowing everybody was out of that building yet, right? Oh, yeah. I had the same question because he did (laughs) save some, but he didn't check every single bin. So I'm hoping that Oracle has some kind of technology out there to check to make sure there weren't any other life signs that were, I guess, younger than 18, because he definitely also left behind all the people who were responsible for the for the human trafficking. Right. I don't think two guys, it was just the two guys that ran out. That was all in the entire operation. (laughs) I I think Nightwing killed some people. Yeah, where's the janitor? There had to be somebody (laughs) who's actually getting paid to clean things up. Uh, but as this is happening, we see now that we hop on over to Markovia. Um, we were in Markovia a little bit earlier in the scene. This is where we got introduced to the uh, the the two young individuals, the one of whom had passed from her um, heart heart condition. But we see that Cat Grant is reporting about the um, about the Markovian royal palace and how they are honoring and talking about the um the epidemic that is this human trafficking when it comes to these kids due to their metagene and how it actually connects directly towards them given the fact that two years prior to this their daughter uh princess tara was also abducted possibly for the same reason um we jump right into cat grant now having this interview with prince um rion who 
apparently has been studying abroad these last two years. And she's asking, did he leave because Tara was taken? He says yes, but mostly to expand his knowledge of the world and to, you know, be a better um a, be a better service to his country. And then she starts poking and prodding that it reminds me a lot of G. Gordon Godfrey, where she states, um, hey, I know you're technically the spare. So how does it feel that um, given the fact you're the spare because you are a twin brother of the king to be, but you're born 16 minutes apart. So how does it feel to be 16 minutes away from the throne? And I was just like, Cat Grant has been learning some things in these last two years. She loves her gotchas. She she needs to she needs to get Catco on top. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the kind of kinds of cutting questions she asks. But while Brianna is still figuring out things together, he does put together that since he's been tested for the metagene, he has Helga Chase test him. He figures his sister was also probably has the metagene and that's why she was taken leading him to be more curious about activating his metagene himself so as he has that revelation we cut back to nightwing who gets some strong leads on how to stop this crisis once and for all and the orchestrator of this crisis bedlam so he decides to round up the old gang starting with artemis who is living with uh the clone of roy that now goes by will Mm-hmm. And Will's daughter. Um, I I didn't quite know what to make of this. I guess you know, aunt <laughs> live aunt and brother in law living together. I I at first thought they were dating, but uh, that wasn't the case. <laughs> oh, uh, mm, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> um. But thankfully, we have time to hop back over to uh, Markovia, where uh, unfortunately, we do see an assassination occur. Uh, As we mentioned, this is a very dark jump in our series now uh, because a uh, there's a teenage girl who opens up the door. And at that moment, some um, thugs, they roll through, including one who seems to have super speed. So as he runs through, he heads on over to the uh, the bedroom of the king and queen of Markovia while the the other thugs that were joined with him they kill her this speedster um rogue he ends up killing the king and queen before the security agents could arrive and unfortunately now uh Baron Delam who is the head of the Markovian security he tries to engage with the speedster in some way and seeing now that Everything is lost. Um, he does win. This is because he shoots him in the back. <laughs> Pretty much. Which is like, how did you catch him? Like, I'm still trying to figure out how a speedster got caught and shot in the back. I mean, you've watched episodes of The Flash like this where <laughs> <laughs> they're just caught unawares oh, somehow. So, so plot armor was defeats the speed force at any given time. Yeah, there. That's the only thing I can take it down. So, in the wake of this assassination, they are well. Before we get to the politics of it, and we see that Superboy and Miss Martian are now living together in Happy Harbor, 
And Superboy mentions that Superman is off world. So he feels this responsibility to step up and just right on time. Nightwing shows up and says, Hey, I need you for something. And, and McGann is completely fine with it. I mean, when your boyfriend's Superboy, there's not too much that can hurt him on a regular earth mission. True. So she's cool with him going, but before he goes, he does propose to McGann solidifying that the two are engaged and to be married. And if you've seen season four, that line is going to hurt you. But until then, (laughs) we cut back to Markovia, where the metahuman that was Speedy is identified as a Karaki immigrant. So now the Baron is is pushing for them to vet all immigrants more harshly and probably using this as an excuse to start a conflict with another country um, to, you know, shake off his political might. He's saying it's all motivated by politics. So now things are getting heating up in Markovia. But for a second, let's cut back to America to catch up with Black Lightning. Yes, uh, Black Lightning decides to find something to comfort him. So he decides to go and check in on his girls. They he gives them both a kiss goodnight and he starts talking with his what seems to definitely be his ex-wife, Lynn Stewart. Uh, the two of them are talking. He shares that, you know, he's done. He's out of the life. And she drops a bomb on us. By which I mean, she states that, hey, I know how this goes. I am the sister of a Green Lantern and the ex-wife of a superhero. And I was like, hold on a minute. Are you telling me that Lynn Stewart is the sister of John Stewart Green Lantern? Yep. And they, well, I mean, we know what the Arrowverse had a problem with that whole Green Lantern thing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wish you got that storyline because it would have made some better connections uh, across Black Lightning and Arrow. But we'll, we'll, I digress. Um, so Jefferson is feeling really good. Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning, he's feeling real good about how he could finally get out the game. He could finally just be there for his daughters. And he's just ready to go. He's probably even going to grab a slice to to celebrate. Uh, Fortunately, though, Nightwing is already there trying to recruit him. And he states that he's not going to do it because he doesn't feel like he can. He Again, it's just been, for him, he's had a very devastating loss when it came to this human trafficking case, especially with the fact that he was responsible for the death of a 14-year-old girl. So Nightwing lets it go, um, and he decides to, Nightwing decides to go meet back up with the two team members that he actually did get, which were Tigress and Superboy. So as they meet up um, at the Zeta Tube, getting ready to go, this is where they hear, hey, I heard you got room for one more. And Black Lightning appears, ready to do what he needs to do. But Nightwing, which is better than Batman, I think, Nightwing assures yeah. him that this is only one time. Mm, that's what they always say. I do want to mention <laughs> that Black Lightning was mad extra with his entrance. He was ju- he jumped like 10 feet from a bridge. <laughs> like Listen, for no well, you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a good time to mention that... Uh, Black Lightning currently cannot use his powers uh, and prompting Nightwing to say that I came for the man, not the powers. 
So as they head off, they head off to a mysterious mission to undo the evils that caught Jeff in our next episode. Yes, we hop on over to the beginning of the Royal Wii, where Garfield Logan, a.k.a. Uh, Beast Boy, is on the set of his show Space Trek 3016, unsure if there's any kind of copyright issues with um, Star Trek or Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, because it is an animated show and he seems to be the now face of this show, um, he states that he wants to do his little public service announcement, his after-school special, where he shares the what's happening with the metahuman trafficking with the public, people who are listening to and watching his show. Um, and then to, to tie it all together, they do a fun little um, pun against the, uh, the more you know NBC <laughs> sign. And that jumps into, again, now just kind of catching up with the aftermath of what happened in our last episode, really just talking about the announcement of the, um, the Justice League members who have resigned from the team. Uh, courtesy of the new Justice League correspondent, Catherine Colbert. Yes, so we cut into the middle of a tense UN meeting where Luthor is just trying to push again that there needs to be more, even more restrictions on heroes, even more Sokovia Accords. And Garth is in there from Atlantis being more useful than Lagoon Boy ever was, defending what the demands of the league they just want to be able to do their jobs they're saying now they can't even get to natural disasters without countries of approval and the the meeting gets real spicy i I love the exchange of bialia is like what about our heroes why can't we join the justice league and somebody goes well when bialia produces a hero that's not a criminal maybe we'll take you maybe maybe shout out to troya Amazon for the mascara. She did. She said what she needed to say. All right. She's not wrong. Because <laughs> right now, drop. the biggest person they had was Queen B, and her kill count is very high. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So it's like it's completely fair that Bialia has not um, <laughs> joined the league yet. But at this point, Markovia says, "You know what? No vigilantes. Period. In our country, we only." If we see a vigilante, we sh- we spray it on site, just so y'all know. And of course, that times in perfectly with our little team of outsiders infiltrating Markovia. Yeah, we have a two pronged attack here. Uh, well, actually, I don't want to say attack because it felt it was it was just orchestrated really well. Uh, we have Nightwing and Tigress who are flying through the Markovia airport under false uh, passports, which I'm pretty sure were sponsored by Batman. Um, oh. And then we also have Superboy and Black Lightning who are trying to slip through Markovia um, by means of Supercycle. So the plan is, is that Nightwing and Tigress are planning to attend the pre-coronation reception for Gregor Markov, given the fact that, unfortunately, to the untimely deaths of his parents. Um, what we f- forgot to share also from the first previous episode was that uh, Lom is the brother of... Ilona Markov, who is the uh, the who is the queen of Markovia, and he's decided that because Gregor is only seventeen, that he will act as regent for uh, Markovia until Gregor is of age by by age of eighteen. So this whole thing is just to get one year of 
just for the um the Lom to try to see if he could sell help with his country while Gregor is still just a boy reeling from the loss of his parents. While they finally arrive to the actual reception, uh Superboy and Black Lightning, they end up uh landing in a cemetery to try and sneak in all the stealth gear for the full team while Nightwing and Artemis are just going undercover. But it does seem to be unbeknownst to the rest of the team that Nightwing has Oracle in his eye, not his ear, I realize. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. really cool kind of tech. I feel like Apple will probably come out with that in the next 15 years. Give me that and that that Roy tech from the other season. I'll I'll be straight. Like I, those two <laughs> items, I can do anything. Um, so while there, this is a great opportunity to see Nightwing flexes kind of Bruce Wayne persona skills where he and Artemis are dressed fancy, taking observations as they dance across the floor. There's a great line where Artemis is like, oh, the, the princes look moody. And Nightwing goes, well, it's hard to feel the aster after you're both both your parents die. Trust me. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I trust you on that one. So they're discussing motives. They say, you know, the uncle obviously has a motive to kill to advance. The princes want to get to the throne faster. So at this point, anyone is a suspect for all of this. And Brion makes it very clear that he doesn't want his uncle to take to be the regent at all. He thinks it's a bad idea. He wants to save Markovia and will do anything to do so to that end. It, he gets set on a path that will take him directly to the metahuman labs he wants to experiment on in the hopes of finding his sister or gaining powers himself to combat the dangers ahead. And there are dangers right ahead as even though Black Lightning doesn't have his powers, he can still sense when something's up. Yeah, because he is able to sense that the there's some kind of electrical frequency near him more than was necessary to power the whole entire building. And this is when he and Superboy are underground trying to find ways to see what's going on in Markovia. As they are able to bypass security inside this hospital, they end up entering the morgue. And this is where they see everything. They see uh, four kids who are trapped in pods and there's some like residual dark substance, which we know as the uh, the kind of black goo that was used to transform uh, her name was Anna in the first episode that we had. But what's mm -hmm. more shocking is that there is a disassembled mother box, like a very crudely disassembled mo mother box. And as they're trying to figure out what to do and most importantly, save these kids, they start feeling really nauseous. Someone might say it's really sick to their stomach, but it's not because of what they've seen is because of what who is doing what to them. Yes, Count Vertigo is here. And because these episodes are heavy, I do have to mention any light moments we get. And there is a moment where in the subtitles, Superboy growls and Black Lightning <laughs> responds, yeah. did you just growl? <laughs> a nice little, nice little meta moment to break up the tension a little bit. But indeed, Count Vertigo is here and he's calling people peasants. He is here to keep this operation going. And after subduing Superboy, he Superboy asked Black Lightning to attack. 
But since Black Lightning is going through his Spider-Man 2 phase, his powers are turned off. He cannot use anything. And to get, make matters worse, we have another plasma metahuman here who doesn't really want them around. So he, Superboy gets his arms, his sleeves, not his arms. Superboy gets his sleeves burned off. They break through the floor. And Vertigo orders, orders them to either fetch or kill them. Doesn't matter to him. And this is when we get another shocking reveal that the new plasma is the brother of the girl that was converted. This is Otto. And now they have to, they're running away from another child turned into a metahuman. Yeah. Unfortunately, now, too, is that we get a chance to see what's happened to the many teens who were victims of this human trafficking as we hop on over to where a bunch of vertical thugs are burying the bodies of um, some kids that unfortunately did not survive the process. As they're doing so, there's one person in particular, the person who was killed um, during the assassination of the king and queen of Markovia, that seems to be very much alive. Um, we discover this when Tigress is heading back to pick up her stealth gear from the cemetery where Black Lightning and Superboy left it. And she overhears the the noise and the commotion from the uh, the head the thugs like discovering the fact that she is waking up. So as they hop as she hop Tigress hops over to try and save this girl, this is where um, this girl is actually helping Tigress by creating red auras to create shields and stopping the other thugs from actually trying to harm her even more. So Tigress is able to get the upper hand as she and the girl are able to escape the cemetery. Yeah, Tigress's reaction, I, like, hit perfect. She yeah. just come, shows up and goes, what are you doing? <laughs> it was like the most on-site reaction I've ever seen in my life. It was like, I don't know what's in that, that grave, but right now it's about to be you. Yeah. And uh, so now that Artemis has gone a little bit off plan, uh, Breon is driving with another person, another higher up in his country. And they're trying to lose a tail. And a moment after they say we lost a tail, Nightwing shows up and goes, amateurs. <laughs> lose a tail. I, he should join the next Fast and Furious, honestly. If he's driving like that. Like, like what's to say? If he, if for, this might be a spoiler. I think that he could easily be the uh, little, little nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that that guy was even in the movie. <laughs> I remembered him because I remembered the face, and I was just like, "Where have you been for the last three films or so, sir?" Speaking of characters that get knocked out of the plot for ridiculous reasons, and you forget about them, Black Lightning, <laughs> while escaping from the underground lab, jumps into the water, lands on his back, hits his back, hits a rock. Harder than that rock that hit Aang in the back in, in the finale of Avatar. No, actually, and, harder than the car that hit Spider-Man's back in Spider-Man 2. Facts. <laughs> this guy is instantly knocked out. <laughs> and again, this is realistic, but unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> and then 
unfortunately, that's followed by Superboy being captured as well. So now we have one hero knocked out, one captured, and one trying to protect a girl who they thought was dead. So now it looks like it's up to Nightwing to pull it back together. Mm -hmm. So he gets all this information from Oracle um, as he decides, like, he tells Tigress to go and try to find Black Lightning. Um, And the other thing, too, is that this girl that Tigress is with, unfortunately, she is not speaking with her. So when so she's just there for for along for the ride and as tigress finally finds lightning she notices that he's not really responding uh until she finally is able to i think it was i can't remember what it was he administered some kind of like shock treatment or something or did he just finally just wake up i think he does he wake up by himself i think so i think so yeah okay we I, we were also hit on rocks on the way out <laughs> watching these episodes, so our memories might be a little hazy. Either way, you're right. But yes, <laughs> but <laughs> he does wake up and does inform her that Superboy has been captured. Um, as we see, we head on back to that lab where Plasmus or Otto is dragging Superboy back to Vertigo. Where Vertigo pulls off the um, the mask that Superboy is wearing. And he decides that, one, it might be a good idea to reveal that this team has infiltrated Markovia. But um, at the same time, he decides, I'm going to put Superboy into one of these pods. As Simon X, who is the, I believe is the doctor or the scientist that actually has been collecting these kids, the one that told Otto in the very beginning that his sister had passed, uh, he brings Brion to the facility and... This is where Brion is putting two and two together as he realizes that Simon X is involved with Bedlam. And he vows to reveal all this to Gregor, but Vertigo steps in, knocks out Brion using his powers, causing Simon to immediately sedate him as they throw Simon into a tube. But Vertigo is just like, no, we can't turn him into a metahuman. This is going against our plans right now. And he just tells him, get try to figure out what to do. I'm just going to leave you to do it because I'm not going to be a part of this. Yep. And things get even worse because while Simon claims he was ordered to bring Brion there, there seems to have been a miscommunication, obviously, mm-hmm. here. And while in the pod, Dr. Helga Chase shows up, turns on the machine, and immediately starts Brion's process of being converted into a metahuman. As people are learning about, as Vertigo is learning that one of the deceased experiments has woken up, Brion wakes up far too late to pervert, to prevent his conversion into a metahuman, leading us to the next episode where things get a little bit even worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, because we get an ad for uh the apple the apple goggles actually <laughs> in this universe they're called goody goggles um it's being promoted by star girl who is dc's courtney whitmore uh she's having a conversation an interview with garfield logan i gotta say these these moments with like the uh with like these pre moments with like beast boy doing these like these conversations it kind of took me out of the episode because it's just like we are jumping around like crazy 
you know, they're kind of doing this stylistic thing of like celebrity activism versus kind of like real activism. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, that was the, the, what they were trying to go for, like this kind of cold open where celebrities would be like, this is what we're doing. And then you see what it really takes to actually fix these problems. Uh, so yeah, Garfield is having this conversation with Courtney and shares that um, you know he talks about his relationship with Queen Perdita, who he met back in season one, where uh, Wally was the one that saved her. So he does share that when Courtney asks him, "So how did you two meet?" He shares that they met during a funeral for a fast friend, which we know is was the funeral for Wally, um, and this causes Courtney to kind of shift the conversation. She apologizes for almost like overstepping here but it does lead gar to focus back onto the human trafficking scenario where he mentions something in a way that it really does a great job into jumping over to what's happening on um back in markovia where brion is now finally trapped fully inside the pod the dark substance this tar as it's called is um engulfing him and he's begging to be released as Brion is just going through this transformation, Artemis has a, f- a funny exchange where she's like, are we going to climb into that ominous hole? Over, th- Okay, I guess we're doing it. Uh, I guess we're going in the hole so that we can try to save our friends. And she wants uh, the newly named Halo to just chill. But Halo looks at the building and sees and instantly feels something is off so while there while artemis is entering the building nightwing is entering as well and again he's having an exchange with oracle through a camera again it seems like a side thing that not the other team knows about but luckily he's quickly to find quick to find superboy and instantly is trying to mobilize what to do here because Superboy is in jeopardy, but there are also kids that are at risk to being taken. And before we can even get to that, we get Jace shows up and reveals that she's been behind this Breon mess the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is the one that orchestrated for him to actually be taken in by Simon X here. Um, is a hope to find someone with the power to stop Bedlam. And this is where... Uh, Vertigo is quite upset with her. She he starts using his powers on her, but as he states this, he he also states that like we are literally messing things up for his highness. And as Lightning, Tigress, and Nightwing are trying to um, intervene, they real they're thinking that Vertigo is referring to Gregor, um, but it seems very confusing for them because they're just like, but. Maybe Gregor will give Virgo control control of um uh the place that he's from, Latvia, and both countries if it falls, but in that way both countries end up falling under the light's dominion. So they're worried about that. And as they're thinking, what can we do? How can we stop Gregor? This is where it's revealed that it's not Gregor at all, but actually Frederick Delam, where Nightwing jokingly points out, which damn, I'm mad I didn't catch it the first time either. That Bedlam is an anagram for Delam. He has he clearly has not been messing with the Riddler enough because that's like the number <laughs> one thing you do. 
And Bet Bedlam comes in and it's like, y'all couldn't handle one night without me. <laughs> <laughs> He's more upset about that than anything else. But he shows up here. He realizes this situation is all over the place and going south even faster. Speaking of, Black Lightning gets into a bit of a trouble, but again, he finds himself unable to tap into his powers. But luckily, Halo, disobeyed order, came in, keeps Black Lightning safe. And as things are starting to go haywire, Jace is entirely concerned about Breon and his safety. So she makes a deal with the heroes. Look, I'll destroy the tar. I'll do whatever. Just make sure Breon gets out of here. And this is where they have to make the decision where Superboy is in trouble. Breon is in trouble. This tar supply is out here. So they have to choose between saving their friends or letting the captured kids go. And here they do let the captured kids go to get Superboy and Breon to safety. Yes, we do see that Vertigo is opening up a boom tube to transport all the kids out. As um, Delam escapes on the railway, uh, I have no idea how this was even built underground and no <laughs> one saw this. <laughs> like, And they decide to burn everything in the lab. So he escapes through the sewers. So unfortunately, we don't have Batman sewer time, but it is very close. Yes. And also another lab is blown up without checking how many people are actually in there. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the thing for this season. Like, how many labs get blown up? We're going to make the count. Right now, we're at two. <laughs> at least three janitors are dead. <laughs> so, back on the beach, they have the realization that eight kids were lost in and boom-tubed away. But Breon has gained something. He has gained the ab- ability to manipulate geographic forces. Uh, so three guesses what his nickname is going to be later. Uh, you mm-hmm. get no points if you get it right. So <laughs> he is in a, in a nice and cool sequence because we haven't seen a sidekick adapt to their powers in a while. So we do get a sequence where he is walking on the beach and taking on all these elemental qualities. And Superboy is there to mentor him and say, like, hey, just breathe calm down if you panic it's only going to get worse and unfortunately things do get worse because on the news bedlam with the fastest social media person in the world word (laughs) puts together a package that looks like brion getting out of the tube so he's saying brion set this up look at him he's turning into a metahuman his sister is missing his parents are dead and he's coming for the throne next so this sends Brion into a rage, and with his new metahuman abilities, he goes to have a little chat with his uncle. Um, and then Superboy decides to try to see if he can go after him. But in that moment, Vertigo, Simon X, um, another one of the thugs, and Plasmus arrive via boom tube. So Nightwing decides to send Superboy after Brion. Rightfully so, because Superboy is probably the only one that can actually handle all of that heat. Um, while the others engage this new team in battle. So uh, during the battle, Simon X, he... I just like saying the name. It just sounds so cool for some reason. <laughs> Simon X. <laughs> uh, Simon reveals that he too is a metahuman and is able to actually create 
uh, shadow clones of himself. So <laughs> this is where Nightwing decides that he needs to find a way to even the odds. So he sends out a smoke bomb. And of course, because his team is full of elite skilled fighters, they make quick work of these individuals here. In the middle of this crazy battle, uh, Plasma shows up um, and seemingly kills Halo in one blow. And this sends Black Lightning into another rage. He cannot see another child fall at the hands of adults in this crazy battle. So this is what gets him inspires him to get his powers back and use them to subdue plasma. Um, so at the same time this is going on, once again, we give credit to Artemis, one of the most underrated members of this team because she knocks out Vertigo. Again, collecting her W's are insane on this show. And luckily, Halo is not gone quite yet. It is revealed that in addition to creating barriers, she has the ability to basically heal from the brink of death, it seems. We saw her do it once before. We definitely saw it now because we saw her whole skull a second ago. Yeah. Um, so she is healed. So on that positive note, we go back over to Bedlam encountering his nephew, who is, again, not too happy with his uncle right now. Oh, definitely not. So as everybody is celebrating and trying to figure out also what's going on following um, Bedlam's accounts of the actions that Brion had taken, everybody's trying to escape, but they feel the ground rumbling as Brion pops up on the ground. He is in full kind of like lava armor as he decides to confront his uncle here, stating that like, he knows what his uncle did. He knows that he's a part of the human trafficking. But before he can actually do that, Rion, uh, sorry, Bedlam states that he was clearly Brion. Look at look at what Brion has done to himself. Clearly, again, he is a part of the whole thing. So it's causing a bit of a back and forth of who do we believe? Because um, as Brion starts to attack Bedlam, it's revealed that Bedlam is a metahuman himself, a metahuman that seems to be able to turn his body to stone. I think it's like a stone-like substance or something else. He just dealt really well with that heat that Brion was throwing at him. Yeah, some gargoyle stuff yeah. right there. Ah, uh, that makes sense because Greg Weissman wrote this book. This <laughs> show, so yeah. <laughs> so everybody is shocked to see this, including Gregor. And Bedlam states, no, I had to turn myself into a metahuman in order to stop Brion because of what he had to do. I'm doing this to save my country. I'm doing this to save Markovia. Um, the two of them start fighting each other and Superboy finally makes his way over. But this whole battle is just turning into a ground shaking um, just show of what Brion can do and how he's able to keep up with his um with his uncle here. We we are sorely lacking um jacked characters. So happy to say that Bedlam fits the the here because he mm -hmm. is built like a rock because he is a rock and <laughs> he is huge. And as he's fighting, it's pointed out by his nephew that 
if he because it the Bedlam's uh defense is I became a metahuman to stop my nephew. And his nephew goes, Well, if you did that, how come you're so good at it, Unc? Because I think it's gonna take a little bit of time to figure out your abilities. Mm-hmm. And now caught in this lie in front of the the nation and the world, he tries Superboy, but Superboy pulls out that black canary training, sweeps the leg, goes for the (laughs) fundamentals, and knocks Bedlam out of contention. And this seems like a pretty good result. Pretty good happy ending. But there is some bad news for Prince Brion. Yes, because Gregor is in a position where he doesn't know exactly what to do here because at the end of the day, his brother is also a metahuman who, um, you know, despite knowing that, yes, this was to help save the country, he does know that it is causing a very, it's putting him in a very difficult situation because we are trying to crack down on the presence of metahumans to try and stop human trafficking here in Markovia. So he decides that the only thing that he can do is to banish his brother so that the rest of Markovia doesn't feel like they're going to have to continuously suffer at the hands of metahumans. Um, This is where Superboy jumps in and just states that, hey, don't worry, we got your brother. We'll take him away from here, but, you know, make sure that he has a proper place to stay. Yes, and if that wasn't enough of a downer for you, we cut back to the other outsiders where Black Lightning... Now, knowing what he does, he targets the control chip instead of attacking the plasmas as a whole, which lets plasmas revolt against his, against the villains. And this is a happy moment that even though this boy has been changed and corrupted, there might be a chance for him to be productive, to help the League in some way. But before they can talk about those plans plasmus is shot from behind by a markovian farmer who thought they were getting rid of a monster but unfortunately they had it all wrong black lightning just goes up to the farmer and says when you realize what you did you will never feel the same again and that is the note that we wind down this last episode on yeah and our team is left standing around. Everybody has suffered their losses. Everybody has gotten their wins. It's a bittersweet victory here. So as Tigris asks Nightwing, what do we do next? We have to sit down with that same question. So as we try to figure out the answer to that, uh, we're going to leave you with a podcast in the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.
All right. Um, so now that was the season opener of Young Justice Outsiders. Uh, I think they actually op- it actually premiered with those first three episodes too when it first premiered back in 2019 on D- DC University, the streaming service that lasted one year before turning into a comic book only service. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like longer for some reason, but <laughs> yeah, no, it I, it maybe maybe a little longer. I think we did get like two seasons of Titans on the on the service. <laughs> Don't forget Swamp Thing. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Which is currently available on CWC. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Andrew, what do you think? From these three, this batch of three that we have now, what was the most whelmed episode of the bunch? So, I I think this is, it's it's an odd thing because coming back to it, we had years between Mm -hmm. seasons two and three uh, when we first we're looking at these episodes and here seeing it back to back uh, with season two, the tone shift is quite jarring. <laughs> um, and it's smart because it was made for the audience who grew up with it, who would have been adults by now or aden- entering adulthood. So it is made f- to get you back in and hook you with saying, this isn't a kid's show. This isn't a Teen Titans Go situation. This is a hardcore DC darkness world before they had kind of separated that kind of stuff into Harley Quinn and such. Mm-hmm. All that to say, mainly because it does take you a couple of episodes to adjust to this new dark world, I do lean towards Imminent Threat as being the most whelmed episode of this bunch. And outside with the tonal and out, outside shift, this one is where it really feels like old school Young Justice again, where you have the core team going out on a secret mission that, of course, goes sideways. But what really I think what I really like this about this episode in particular is that normally these missions go sideways because the team is fighting. There's some outs. There's some dispute, some internal issue they have to resolve. Here, they do absolutely everything right like they're supposed to and still lose (laughs) at the end of the day. It is a really hard lesson the team has to learn. But everything that happened with Brion, with Plasmus, there is even if they had executed this mission perfectly, they could not have changed those outcomes. They couldn't save both the kids and Superboy and Brion at the same time. So there is a good it's a great plot because I love plots where they make hard choices. They have some victories, but still don't walk away with the win quite fully because there were just no other better decisions they could have been made. Um, So for those reasons, that's why eminent threats shown out to me. And also I got a dishonorable mention Royal. We again, that black lightning fall, I know it's supposed to be serious, <laughs> but that that is hilarious. I keep playing it on repeat in my head. <laughs> like, you're an Olympian. How did you mess up this dive, Jefferson Pierce? <laughs> what do you think? Damn. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with you that Royal Wee was the weakest for me. Um, I'm actually I, I felt for my most well in the episode was Prince's All. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's just because, like, I love things. I love those episodes where it feels like things have been shaken up a bit. Um, 
and I and I really attribute that to the uh to the Justice League boardroom scene. Now I know like mm. I'm saying ground shaking moves because I know Eminent Threat had like a, a ton of them. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean we had a whole Geo Force that dude right now. <laughs> but I think what um what Princess All gave me from that scene was that you know, we already start with like the beginning stages of law. So I do that tonal shift was was very strong there. And it was just it does knock you off your feet a little bit to see the see everything through the eyes of Anna, which is like amazing to see. Uh well sad to see, but also amazing how how well it was done to see how it's just like you're experiencing her life through her eyes in these short moments and seeing the ramifications in the long run. Because that moment in which Jefferson um, accidentally kills her, you feel it. You feel that sadness. You recognize that, like, dang, this is a moment where a child had to die in this moment with this, like, this war that we're going on. And realizing how much we're not really realizing about what's actually happening in our, like, in our backyards. And I think that Calder bringing that up where it's just, like, we have that he's been with the team again for the last like two years and they didn't know the severity of the, the metahuman trafficking system that was happening. Um, so I think that that really brought me into and like caught me to be like, all right, but what's going to happen? How are we going to solve that? What's the next stage? And then that boardroom scene felt like every single statement that was made um, every action that was taken was 100% believable based off of the um, the personalities that we saw or even what we would normally see in everyday life. Like there is going to be a Batman who's going to be like, we need to step up and not agree to the laws that we have right now and try to change them and try to do these drastic things while we have people like Calder and Wonder Woman who are just like, we can try to see if we can get that that victory through what is already being placed upon us. So I can see that dynamic playing out not only in this animated series, but also um, in real life. And I'm excited to see what this division across the Justice League might actually cause for the rest of the show. Because now we have, you know, we are, it just seemed that we are going to be sticking with the Nightwing group of it all who weren't present for the situation that happened in the court, in the boardroom. But what's going to happen now for all these other heroes that decide to side with Batman and Green Arrow? What's going to happen to the rest of the Justice League as they continue to be um, just at fault, just uh, at fault for whatever Lex Luthor is going to put them on? So I think that opened up some more doors, some more storytelling for me than it did for like with Royal We, because it felt like everything that happened there. It started and the the events, the ramifications of it was all pretty contained and ended within that set of episodes. So mm-hmm. Royal We, it was, you know, can't forgive Jefferson for making that making that mistake. I know he did. I know he was Russian. But Eminent Threat was a strong episode. It just wasn't um the strongest for me. That's fair. And um to your um hero's points of like um going outside the law. There's a in honor of the now officially dead Snyderverse. Mm-hmm. I will throw, run it back to a line that Batman says about when about being criminals and always being considered criminals. So it's it's it was interesting to see how that really practically looks like. They're all vigilantes. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, they've been allowed to operate with unlimited power, essentially. So this was a good way to rein that back in of saying, like, look, last year, these Council of Heroes as a unit, because they represented Earth and as a whole, were put on trial. And who knows what ramifications that could have had for us. The Reach was here invading us because of the heroes being allowed to, you know, if Hayame was at government supervision, maybe the stuff with the reach never would have happened. So they, they raise a lot of good questions about what role superheroes now have in society and how they are kind of criminals in a lot of situations, invading countries uh, without supervision. And mm-hmm. now this divide that will form between the heroes um, you can it's, you know, based on personality, of course, Plastic Man, Green Arrow are like, nah, I think hardware just disagreed because Black Lightning was out. But um, <laughs> it's like, y'all ain't got no black people on your team. <laughs> oh, nah. Is Dixon here yet? No. All right. I'm out. <laughs> so it is very interesting to see how heroes take sides and believe. Do you leave uh, organization that is restricting you? And jeopardize the greater good, or do you try to do the good on your own, just with less support and resources? It's a good conflict to raise for the season. Yeah, and I'm excited. And you're right with that um, that shift of recognizing that the people who are watching it are older, because at that point we were experiencing a lot of this stuff. We were in the uh, we were in the Trump era of things, right? I think Doom World still. Yep. 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 Okay. Yep. So yeah, this was this was a daily conversation for us. We were unfortunately to be very blunt, we were experiencing um the deaths of kids not only through acts of war, but also what was happening in our backyards with um the constant school shootings. Um, you know, it's not dissimilar to what's been what we've been experiencing now, but recognizing that like how kids are always gonna end up being the victims in these kinds of stories, it does help to have a show where they're addressing that in some way and seeing it from all these different points of views of like the people who are actually, as you said, the people who are taking action, the legal sides of it all and hoping that, you know, maybe there's some way to find the answer to that in the episode, in these episodes, kind of like these. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of parallels as well to at the time, immigration Mm -hmm. issues were at the forefront of policy not to say that the they they're all reconciled now there's still a lot of work to, to be done but this was an era where we were talking about building walls to keep people out where we were talking about um children in cages again not completely solved mm-hmm. uh call your congressman but this is where it was at the forefront of everybody's minds so that likely influenced their the writer's direction to go what if we highlighted what is happening to the kids while all these politicians are scheming and trying to move forward and trying to get what they want? Who gets caught in the aftermath? And for a show that already focuses on y- the youth and how they af- are affected by the older heroes, it makes a lot of sense to try to to pull in a a time very, very topical issue and add some superpowers in the mix to make commentary. And I, that's something we'll see going forward in more subtle ways. But overall, there's a lot of 
the season really wanted to use current events to push it forward in a way that it hadn't been pushed before. And I'm excited to see where how the season progresses. Uh, but before we do that, of course, we have to dive into our comic book knowledge. What does this, you know, what stories might come up, especially because Young Justice is written also by a comic book writer. Um, so as a way to set up season three, uh, Greg Weissman, with the art being done by Christopher Jones, released a two-issue DC Universe exclusive story in 2019. And you're probably wondering, you know, what things came up during that time? Does this explain how they found out about Tar activating the metahuman gene? Uh, does it show Batman and Green Arrow plotting to quit their jobs? Does it even show how Delon rose to power behind the scenes and maybe if he was a part of Tara's kidnapping or even Brion's journey to find out what happened to his sister? No. <laughs> what we got was the commission explanation as to how Miss Martian and Superboy got back together. Well, the people needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they didn't do... They, they, they just use this for... Um, shipping for yeah, purposes. <laughs> just for shipping. Totally shipping. So, uh, year six of the series, this is um, after uh, after the invasion of the Reach was all done. Uh, we get a chance to see now that Batgirl alerts the new Alpha team as it was created uh, with Superboy, Miss Martian, and Beast Boy that Simon is back. He has flown into the United States through regular air travel um, by which I assume Spirit Airlines yeah no laws there <laughs> yeah because he uses psychic powers to um to make his way despite having a mark on his car saying he's on the no fly list uh but what he did make sure of was to be caught on camera as a way to bait the team uh everybody knows this is a trap like general akbar knows this is a trap this is how much of a trap it is uh, yeah. so Batgirl and Beast Boy, they decide to start setting things up along with the rest of Team Alpha, Superboy and Miss Martian, but they are noticing that there's some residual tension between their teammates. Yeah, I mean, understandably, if you dated Lagoon Boy for a few months, I'm going to have some questions <laughs> to my, my girlfriend before we continue. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I, for and as you can tell, that that definitely was never addressed because um, at some point they do hint that there was there's some conversation that does come up in which they apparently Superboy and Miss Martian did work well together on a mission to Mars as recently, um, but it just gets buried as the this new mission takes them to a convention for classic films. Uh, they see a poster feature for a conversation with Sandra Stanion. Uh, mm -hmm. no need to worry about that name but maybe you might remember it from that episode where we get a chance to actually watch an episode of Hello Megan uh, uh, because this person she is an actress that was originally the conversations for a movie or a series that she did called Silverblade which is an actual DC comic uh, so nice thing that they did there um, but the more important thing is that this Sandra Stanion, she joined her for former co-star from Silverblade, Jonathan Lord, to play the parents of the very popular TV show, Hello, Megan. Ah, so now we're getting some acting canon instead of setting up any of the season. Nice. Yes. 
Uh, so in the middle of the mission, McGann, Beast Boy, and Connor decide to go into a uh, the conference hall um, to hear this conversation. And Connor, he encourages McGann to kind of ask about what was it like to work alongside Mary Logan? Because at this point, um, again, unfortunately, Mary Logan uh, was killed due to an act by Queen Bee. So as um, Sandra is given this very heartfelt statement, she notices that like McGann looks a lot like Marie. And this causes Beast Boy to transform out of his animal-like state into just a regular, his regular green look to state, hey, yes, this is actually um, her daughter. Because once again, back in the comic, or I think in the earlier season episode, uh, Marie, oh yeah, actually back in the comic, Marie decided to quote unquote adopt McGann as her daughter here on Earth. Weird since McGann has isn't McGann's mother alive? Yeah, alive and well. <laughs> she has a whole family. She's got more cousins in the black family reunion. I don't understand why she needed an Earth mom. Yeah, that's uh that's weird. I wonder if that was some kind of commentary, but please go on. <laughs> Uh, so Sandra decides to invite them out to lunch at the convention. Um, I, I hope there was some better food than most of the hot dogs we usually see at Comic-Con. <laughs> and as they're starting to have this conversation, Barbara is continuing on with the mission and unfortunately comes face to face with Simon, who uses the psychic link that they had established for the mission to piggyback onto it and mentally attack McGann, causing McGann to also mentally attacks Superboy, Beast Boy, and Sandra, and trapping them in an episode of Hello, Megan. Okay. <laughs> Long way to get there, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was issue one of the comic. Uh, issue two, uh, again, these comics are called Torch Songs. I just realized I didn't say that before, but these are the Torch Songs. I think it was just to, which will explain here why it was called that. So in part two, Superboy and Garfield, uh, Beast Boy, they realize that they're in this episode and it, none of it is real. Super um, Garfield gets turned into a frog because he realizes it's an episode plot from where um, Megan is supposed to take care of the class frog. And Megan and Sandra are fully in their personas while Batgirl is legit fighting for her life against Simon in the, <laughs> in the whole convention center. Um story progresses we even get a chance to meet connor the uh the connor in hello megan the tv show who is quite upset when he sees his uh superboy connor because he's confused as to why there's another connor and why this connor happens to keep continuously talk with his um his his megan though connor is like an extremely common name (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh so the episode starts playing out but beast boy he starts realizing that there's small differences, uh, mainly because I'm assuming that he just was been binge watching his mother's show multiple times at this point. Um, so from these differences, he's realizing that it's probably McGann speaking out. She states that um, she has to perform a song later in, in school and she's worried that she won't be good enough, but also hopes that Connor will forgive her. And this is where Beast Boy asks Superboy, like, hey, um, Whatever happened to you two after the whole time when y'all were on Mars and seemed to have worked well together, Connor states that he has forgiven her. Um, he's not too upset about what happened, but Beast Boy asks, did you actively say that to her? And this is where Connor states that he hasn't, that he hasn't 
actually shared that he's forgiven her um, mainly because he also feels like he's not at the point to say that quite yet, which Beast Boy feels is him saying that he hasn't truly forgiven her. Mm. I know uh, the, that Beast Boy, you know, those, those smooth songs he sings to Raven. <laughs> we knew he was ladies' man. We knew he had those super relationship skills as well. Yep. Man's got Riz. We know it. <laughs> um, so this all comes to a head at the end of the this episode because for some reason we had like the class frog plot line, but then immediately jumps into began performing the song at school. Um, and as she gets up on stage to perform the song, they're listening to the lyrics, and it's all basically a reference to her and Superboy's relationship versus her and Connor. Um, so Connor from the Hello Megan series states, he clearly knows that this isn't his Megan because he expected a cheerier song um, and tell Superboy, you need to go handle that. <laughs> and Superboy does. He goes and they, at, he goes up at a point where McGann is stating, you know, I still love you. I threw away five years of yesterday's um, and I'm hoping that you can forgive me. And it is at that moment where he states that he does forgive her and it breaks her out of this um the state that she's in, where she no longer believes that she's uh, she no longer believes she's Megan and now knows that she's McGann. And she's able to fully take back control of the psychic scenario. Um so now Superboy and McGann reconcile. Sandra's okay. Um, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about her. This is mainly because <laughs> She was like, I was married to Jonathan Lord, her co-star, and she was just like, he was weirder than this. Uh, Batgirl escapes. Simon escapes. So they're just like, we'll find a way to get Simon back later on. But no, importantly, that love prevailed. And that Spirit Airline should start screening its passengers a little bit more carefully. Yes, please do, Spirit Airlines. <laughs> You're messing it up for the rest of us. <laughs> Um, and that's it. That is the comic book knowledge that I feel like is probably just I don't know if you need to know. I feel like we jumped into the season knowing that, like, yeah, most likely they were gonna reconcile. Um, but kind of glad to see now that Superboy and McGann are engaged. I do have one big question though. What job does Superboy have to pay for that ring? Well, it's not a reporter. Um <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's probably very practical and he's like started a small construction company. Like, I I mean, <laughs> your days would be really quick, wouldn't they? Like <laughs> yeah. doing a contractor, <laughs> contractor work. He probably just like delays and pretends to struggle sometimes. Like, oh no, this, this tw like four by four beam is just so gosh, gosh darn heavy as I lift it above my head. Here And here's my real conspiracy that he and, Nightwing are in cahoots. That Nightwing destroys the buildings. Superboy builds it back mm. up with a super construction company. And I bet you that the Roys are in on it too. Yes, I believe that. You know what? And I bet the, the company slogan is if you think no one can do it, can't I can't. No, I I'm can't. Still, mm. No, I'm still working on that. I'm still workshopping it. But I can. Uh, can I okay. can't? This is why this is why I didn't go into PR, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you need Bedlam's PR person. He'll get a slogan no for you in five minutes and accuse your greatest enemy at the same time. <laughs> that person deserves a raise. You are right. 
it's working I was also going to say that maybe I just wanted to say this. I thought that at one point, given the fact that um, Superboy doesn't age, I was like, he's probably working like 21 Jump Street or something. <laughs> modeling probably has a very lucrative mm, modeling career. That's true. That's very true. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode today as we try to go figure out what Superboy actually does on his downtime that pays the bills. Um, so in the meantime, be sure to check us out on our social medias, our Patreon for more content. And be sure to take care of yourselves. And remember, if you decide to quit your job, be like Batman. Make sure to leave some space on the document so that your best friend can sign the paperwork. Me too. And if you are Superboy and cloned from half of Lex Luthor, ask for those back child support checks, because that's probably how he afforded that. Oh, rent. shit. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs>